De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host, Doug Bell, and today we're going to be talking about the importance of trust-building conversations and how to use them. Joining us is Chris Beal, who is the CEO at Connect and Sale, based in Silicon Valley, which is the world's only technology that gets your best salespeople 10x more live conversations with qualified prospects every day. So far this week, Chris and I have talked about using trust building conversations. And today we're going to wrap up our conversation by talking about how corporate strategy ties to sales conversations. Okay, here's my conversation with Chris Beal, the CEO at Connect and Sell. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here, Doug. All right. Interesting conversation yesterday. I have to say, I was a little skeptical about the cold call approach, feeling a little less skeptical than I was yesterday. But really what we were talking about then was how do we build trust out of the gate with a cold call today? A bit of a different topic, which is how does your overall corporate strategy start translating down into the day-to-day sales conversation? So Chris, sort of what's the central tenet of this? In other words, what tends to drive that translation? What it comes down to is this, and I'm, a, I'm an old strategist, right? I've held titles like chief strategy and corporate development officer at companies. And you know, and on the innovation side, you know, I've been an SVP of innovation for like a general electric division that got sold. And whenever you look at strategy, you're really asking yourself a question, how's the market evolving and where do we want to be in the future? Strategy is always basically a list of steps we believe we can take. And each step is going to get us toward where we want to go and reduce the cost and risk of the next step. That's a, my definition of strategy as a list. And so when we are finished kind of coming up with strategy, we say, okay, we want to be here. We want to be positioned in the market like this. We want to have this kind of share. We want to have this kind of differentiation from others. We want to have these moats around us to protect us from bad things. Then you have the question of, okay, I've got a next step. My next step is almost always to capture market share. Almost always. It's very rare to have a strategic move that doesn't involve capturing market share. And market share means share of a market. And I think this is where people get confused. Jeffrey Moore taught me a long time ago, the author of Crossing the Chasm. Jeffrey Moore, I idolized Jeffrey Moore. I was lucky enough to have him on my VC team at one point at the company I was doing. And I asked him, what is it that we all get wrong? You know, us us idiot founders, right? And he, he just goes, oh, geez, it's so simple. You guys think a market is a description and a market is always a list. It's a list of human beings it's a list of companies, but that list of companies got to turn into a list of people that you need to speak with in order to influence that market or take that market. And so he made it really clear that if you just kind of say vaguely, oh, our market is companies like X, Y, and Z, you're doomed because somebody else will make the list. And when they make the list, now they can outcompete you because they can figure out 
what to do with each company in that list, right? So that's really how it ties together is once you've made a list of companies, now you take that and you make it into a list of people who are entry points into those companies. And now you have to get in and you have to navigate those companies to find out what their real needs are, who the real decision makers are, how they make decisions, where they are with regard to considering a solution like yours. They're normally three-year consideration cycles because that's about how long it takes for people to replace or companies to replace solutions or look at replacing them. So you have to get all this figured out. And there's only one reliable way to do it. Have conversations with people you didn't know that you were going to have to have conversations with. So there's a lot of tech now that says, oh, yeah, here is who to talk to, or these guys have this intent, or all this kind of stuff. Great. That's all publicly available knowledge. Your competitors have that, too. The only way you can get proprietary advantage, competitive advantage over your real competitors, is to know stuff they don't know. And the only way to get that information is to have conversations with people who trust you enough to give you that information. And that's how we come all the way back down to the the humble cold call. How am I going to get those conversations faster, more reliably with cleaner signals coming back? Well, the first signal is, do they still work there? I can't trust anybody to tell me somebody still works somewhere until I talk to that somebody. Trust me. I mean, I know every data source out there. They tend to run 18 months behind. They'll tell you, oh, Chris Beale just joined this company. That's the company I left 18 months ago. So I can't rely on public information to get proprietary advantage. And, and this is, to me, the oddest thing about the sales tech revolution is it basically says, let's all compete based on publicly available information. It's actually a nutty corporate strategy perspective. Like, how, what? <laughs> Nobody does that in the world. I always want to know things the other, the other guy doesn't know. But how do I get that unfair advantage? I get it through conversations. Right. There was the day when our Rolodex was really our, one of the more powerful things we had as sellers, right? So our ability to have that knowledge, to have those relationships, and to have built trust. So how do you create that virtuous feedback loop? In other words, translating uh, lists of folks, in other words, your TAM, not an abstract idea of companies, but actually people. How do you create a feedback loop so you understand whether or not that list is effectively being used by sales organizations so that you can sort of come back and improve that list and over time, ultimately improve your strategy? So there's two things you can do that are really simple. One is, and this is a funny kind of activity level thing, it is simply making sure that enough conversations are taking place with folks in that list. And because it, it, it starts with ignorance, we don't really know what's going on in any one of these companies. And we have to talk to people and, you know, we have false negatives and false positives and all that kind of stuff. The conversations will evolve to repeated conversations with the same person as relationships develop within those companies. That is, as your sellers develop relationships, they go from talking to a lot of people, which is signal one, number one, activity with a lot of people, real conversations, to converging on a few. So it, you actually get a funnel-shaped distribution of the people that are being spoken with until you get down into kind of deal consideration or solution consideration time. And then it's no longer how many folks is your seller talking to, but how many folks on your team are talking to how many people on their team. In the enterprise, that's what happens. So it looks like an hourglass. And that the shape of that hourglass tells you where you are within that particular 
opportunity that you've identified or that target that you've identified. So it looks like regular old boring like sales activity stuff, but it's not. It's not, are we doing it so much per day? It's what's the shape of it, so to speak, how many? Because we have to enter, at least in the enterprise, in many places. If we think there's just one headshot, we're wrong. Enterprises don't work like that. Even $25 million companies don't work like that. You can't even get to me that way, right? And you can probably get me on the phone. But what am I thinking about right now? I don't know, but maybe James Townsend, my VP of customer success, has something in his mind that he'd be willing to explore with you for a while and matured enough to bring it to me or get rid of you. Who knows, right? So that's number one thing we need to do is gain knowledge of how much knowledge we've gained. And to do that, we have to have a lot of conversations leading to sort of a, we'll call it a, a quarterly cycle of conversations with the same person leading at some point to now more conversations with more people from their side, more people from ours. So that addresses one part. The other part is in time, only one-twelfth of your market is in market right now for your solution. Eleven-twelfths of your market this quarter has no, your can has no possible way to consider your solution. They just bought one yesterday or two quarters ago, three quarters ago. Trust me, it's a bad time to talk to them, but it's a good time to keep talking to them. So having conversations over time about once a quarter with the same people so that you keep that trust, that bubbling trust going on. And in one of those conversations, they're going to tell you something that they haven't told anybody else. And at that point, maybe they'll agree to meet with you. And so you go from simple follow-up, which, by the way, this is why the phone's so effective, because you follow up with people who answer the phone. You know they answer the phones. So they're easy to follow up with. It's a virtuous cycle there. Finally, you get the meeting. Now you're in discovery. You get him into the confessional. You handle that emotional journey correctly, which is radically different from the cold call. It starts with apprehension, not fear. It can go to pride of place very easily if you know what to do. Pride replaces apprehension every time. Then you go to pride of mission, and then within pride of mission, well, what's keeping them from accomplishing their mission? Okay, now we have something to talk about, right? So if you if you get into a meeting with them and you handle it correctly, you get in the confessional. They start confessing what their issues are and so forth. And then it's like, well, who else should I be talking to? And now it branches out. That could take from one to 12 quarters for any given target out there in your TAM. And your TAM should be thought of as 12, a 12 quarter operation in which you're going to be learning more and more, but sometimes transacting very early. Surprisingly early. We call those bluebirds, right? They're what the, all they really are is I started talking to them when they were already talking about this a moment. That's all. It's just a timing luck. But don't depend on luck. I say, you know, make a systematic machine out of market dominance by talking to everybody you need to talk to about once a quarter until they're ready to meet with you. And then at that meeting, don't blow it. Get in the confessional. What's interesting to me about this approach, and, and I have to say, the thing I like a lot about what we talked about yesterday and we're talking about today, Chris, really is this idea that people are selling to people. It's not abstract. And to build trust really means that you're increasing the likelihood that that transaction is going to occur and the person's going to feel good about the transaction. And that ultimately, whether there's career risk or not, you've put yourself in a situation where you've created a competitive advantage. I recognize I have to build trust. And by maintaining trust, they increase the likelihood I'm going to sell stuff to this customer. 
But I've got to ask, and really this is my final question for you on this topic. Are you on some level entrusting these people, not your company, not the brand, with your ability to really be successful as a brand? In other words, you've trained these folks to be great trust builders. And, you know, the days of staying with a company five, six, seven years, there's a lot of rotation happening in sales organizations. In other words, Chris, you and your team are investing. You're recommending that others invest heavily in ensuring that these sales folks are good at building trust quickly, maintaining trust, creating the hourglass. When these people walk, right, you lose that trust factor. In other words, it's not necessarily translated to the brand. Is that a risk? And I guess the question is, if it is a risk, is it just outweighed by the benefits of the approach? Yeah, I would call that a secular risk. It's just built in. It's nature of life, right? And turnover among your sales team is a big issue. It's such a big issue that actually my wife just wrote a book on the subject called Love Your Team, a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world where your top talent can walk out the door without taking a single step. So what are the ways that you can work with your team, your sales team, in order for them to continue to want to work with you. And it's not just making a number. It's actually a whole bunch of other things. Do you treat them as a human being or as a machine that makes a number? There's just so many things. One of the interesting things is salespeople who are really good at building trust experience success every day, not just at transaction time. And experiencing success every day is the number one antidote to leaving because this isn't fun anymore. It doesn't feel good anymore. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. So while it doesn't handle the management issue, it actually works in your favor. So if you have good sales managers, as Helen, my wife calls them, love your team system sales managers, then you get, you get a huge impact. Helping them learn to build trust amplifies that impact because it's more fun to stay with the company where you feel like you're being trusted all the time. And it's really tough. If you're a trust-oriented salesperson and you go to work for a company that is not a trust-oriented company, that is a ram-it-down-their-throat transaction-oriented company, then you end up with a problem, right? It's an impedance mismatch. You don't fit. It's like trying to you know, stick a sticky note on an, on an oily car. It just falls off. So it's a risk reducer for attrition, in a way that actually has something else built in, which is when somebody is not a great trust builder, they're likely to leave. So it actually promotes the exit of those who aren't working out anyway. All right. Well, it's interesting. I, I feel like we naturally become so enamored with the technology that supports our ability to market and sell. We talked about the fact that there are more than 11,000 applications in the RevTech stack and it's exploded. And Chris, I really appreciate spending some time talking about just the fundamentals of human selling to humans and how important it is to build trust and how that translates from the corporate strategy level all the way down to that cold call, that daily activity. Thanks for being on the show with us today. Thank you, Doug. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Chris Beal, CEO at Connect and Sell for joining us. If you would like to contact or learn more about Chris, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can always contact him on Twitter where his handle is chris 8649 or visit his company website at connectandsell.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to RevGenPod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. 
If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we'll be publishing an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.